HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, it's September 24th, 2019, and yes, it's our 500th show. So thanks to everybody who's been uh, supporting us from the crew down, and most of all to our guests, but also a big shout out to Roberta's Pizza. Uh, we are in the backyard in Bushwick, Brooklyn, of this wonderful pizza restaurant, and um, they continue to support our network to this day. So thank you, Roberta's Pizza. All right, guys, so this is a special show. We're kind of talking about starting up businesses. I mean, one thing about the show in the beginning, we focus a lot on, on beer bars and new breweries that were opening. And I still think that's the ethos of the show, is showcasing um, a lot of the, the food, cider, and, uh, and beer industry people that are, that are making their way up following their careers. Um, one of our first guests is, um, is, is, it fits that mold. It's Danny Brooker. Danny, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Thanks so we had you on me. years ago. You were the brewer at Six Point in, in Red Hook. Then you were brewing at Circa Brewing, where you actually, to me, you made the best pills in New, in New York at the oh, time. Oh, man. That's too, too kind. Too, I'm glad that we can track my career by, from Beer Session <laughs> Radio podcasts. That's, That's awesome. what it's supposed to be. <laughs> and then last week, I, we were at the jo- after the show we did here, we went to Wild East Brewing, like pre-opening party with Josh Bernstein's new yeah. book. And we saw you out front with your brother Luke at Groundlings Pizza with your pizza truck That's making it. pizza. That's it. That's absolutely right. Now I'll make a point to say that the in the uh, I think it's the first uh, no maybe the second or third paragraph on the chapter with food and beer that Josh Bernstein wrote in his book he mentions pizza. I I, I almost want to say it saved his life because <laughs> he was talking about when he used to drink beer back in the day in his twenties, staying up all night, and pizza saved his life. He would go and get that slice on the corner, and it it, it saved him from uh, <laughs> consuming way too much. It was the sponge, but yeah, no, it's uh, pizza. It's it's funny that I found my way back to it, and you know, if you do, you want me to get into the whole story. Because it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. It's, uh, you know, we, we had, me and my brother. And then brother, quick, everyone else, say hello. <laughs> hello. I'm Shinobu. From uh, Kato Saki Works. Yeah. And? and I'm Matt Arshambo from Fifth Hammer Brewing and Brewed in New York. All right. So your dad was so making pizza? Yes. So, you know, me and Lucas, my brother, who, who I opened this, uh, this pizza truck with, uh, we had just left Circa Brewing Company. And we, you know, we had always talked about... So you were the brewer and he was the pizza he maker. He was the pizza maker. And he's the pizza man. He's been, he's been making pizza for a long, long time. And we always knew that at some point we were going to do something together, right? It was always part of the plan. We just didn't know how it was going to manifest. And when we had left Circa Brewing, you know, it, it was sort of at a point in our lives where it said, look, if we're, if we're not going to do it, now we're never going to do it 
and uh, we took we took maybe half a year off. We went back home. My dad had his pizza oven. We were we were contemplating how we were going to get this thing started. He had this extra oven, which is the one that you saw at the Wild East uh, book release party, and the one that we're taking all over Brooklyn. But it's in a, a food trailer that never had an oven in it. We had the oven installed in it, and it's it's not. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't. I still don't know if it's a good idea. But it's been seven years, and it's still standing, which is awesome. Uh, a mason installed it, not a not some uh, you know uh, package company that sends you the pizza oven and you build it and you follow the instructions. We had a mason install it, and we drove this oven from Oregon to Brooklyn, New York, which was a crazy part of the journey. And that was that wasn't even you drove you the know, pizza truck. The pizza, but truck. now it's called a pizza truck. Yeah, the pizza truck. You know, it's it's funny. I never thought that was confusing because when you say pizza, when you say truck anything in New York, they assume it's got a motor attached to it. But uh, it's a, it's more of a pizza trailer, I guess, because we pull it with uh, with a separate vehicle. But it's a pizza trailer, pizza truck, and you know, we drove it to Brooklyn and rolled it out at the beginning of this year. And we've we've been really focusing on servicing the growing amount of, of Brooklyn tap rooms for breweries and uh, drinking establishments. No, that's great. And Matt, you you, you came on, uh, you messaged me yesterday and you said, I want to come on and talk about food at breweries. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so I saw the Instagram post and saw the groundlings in it. Um, at Fifth Hammer, we have uh, food seven days a week, all provided by third-party vendors. And uh, groundlings and their Neapolitan pies, and they also did... Uh, a meatball sandwich pop-up with killer meatball sandwiches. Um, they're just like a great fit for us. They're super popular. They're a pleasure to work with. They're a pleasure to have at the brewery. I love having vendors who just get the culture of a brewery right off the bat. So as, as a taproom manager, you're, you're managing the, the food lineup? That's right. And you said, is, is, is there a lot of uh, ups and downs? With... Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a tough business. Some people are just starting out. They're, they're not sure how much to make. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes someone's been doing, you know, been using a food truck for 10 years, and they come in, and it's kind of a mess. And I'm like, man, this, is, this, was, this was a tough day. And then sometimes someone's starting up, like this young woman who's uh, running a, uh, a pop-up called The Pakistan, um, where she raises money for uh, educating women, young girls in Pakistan. She has a day job, but she, has, she is a chef. And she comes in once a month and, and sells her stuff. And she, her stuff's amazing. What does she make, like kati rolls? Or? Well, she does it all in, like, American kind of bar food format. So quesadillas and tacos and stuff. But the, uh, honestly, it was one of the most overwhelmingly positive responses we've had from the crowd. So it, it's, it's usually it's really easy to tell who we're going to have back. That's great. Well, I'm glad you guys are on the 500th show. We're going to keep talking about these topics. And now what we're drinking, this is the long-awaited sake made in Brooklyn. Um, Shinobu, tell us about your, your new place and yes, the so, project. Yeah. We had you on two years ago. Yes. You've been talking about making sake. Mm. And then at that time, I was looking for the space, and mm. we talked about zoning and things. Now I have a space, and talking about the you know state license and those kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right? That's something. Congratulations. That yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, so it's just five minutes walk from So you're in Bushwick. Place. What's yeah, the exact Bushwick. address? Uh, 5 Central Avenue. So it's near Flushing Avenue? Flushing and Central, the Forest Point restaurant, and uh, right behind the whiskey place called Moto Spillets. Yeah, so we will be in the neighbors. Yeah, and, and we love sake. I mean, I was telling you, and you were also at Josh Bernstein's book launch last week. Yeah, this is kind of why the show came together. Yeah, so Josh came to my, you know, when I was brewing at the different space, he came by mm-hmm. and I tasted my sake. And uh, my goal is for, you know, to let him to write about sake in some future, hopefully. <laughs> you know, but we need to have probably more sake breweries in the U.S. There's right. only like yeah, yeah. 20 right now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. And you're the first one in the city? Well, actually, there's one already called Brooklyn Kura in uh, Industry, Industry City. city. Mm. So they are making beautiful sake and then they have a nice room. So we'll be the second. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about sake in America. Because mm. I noticed when I had Jimmy's number 43, maybe even eight or nine years ago, I had a short cider list. I had some of the top importers at the time. It was mm-hmm. Johto mm-hmm. and um, uh, some other brand. I can't yeah. remember. But there were some really great ones. Yeah. And literally, we made, a, we made a nice little cider list. And I was thinking the way sometimes you make a wine list in a restaurant bar. Okay, I'm going to put the wine list up. And the things that are by the bottle, you know, they'll probably last a couple of months. And I'll relook at it. I had the sake, a good sake list, short. And 
a month went by, and, and one day I was like, where's all the sake? And it had sold out. But I was so distracted by other things and craft beer and food and, and, and cider that it, it never became the – I didn't have the, the headspace to, to handle it. And I did it again a few years later, the same thing. I'm like, yeah. we're going to start up again with sake. And every time I brought it in the two times, within a month – all the sake have sold out. What do you guys think about that? I'm interested to know. Do you think it's because it was so new, people just wanted to try it, or were people already into it? Um, well, I think that at the time when I only had beer and wine license, so the options were craft beer, some wine, some cider, that sake stood out. And we weren't doing sakatinis or anything. Just as a product, it stood out as a, a you know something like a liquor. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't try it once I got a full liquor license. I didn't try sake. Mm-hmm. Well, sake is a kind of interesting drink that you know 95% of the American people know what sake is mm-hmm. while they don't know what sake is either yeah, right? I, yeah. so Thank it's you. a kind of interesting it drink. resonates with the beer industry because if you can't think that far back there you had a uh, the entire population of the US knew what beer was but didn't really know what beer is mm. right they weren't familiar with the depth of flavor that you could achieve with beer and i was so going off sake i've been an ignorant sake drinker my entire life yeah, matter of fact too. i usually get it hot which <laughs> if, to my understanding now is not how you enjoy the world's best sake yeah correct? the short answer is yeah if you have a good sake yeah you want to enjoy chill. It the same way that when you have a good wine you don't want to make a hot wine exactly exactly Mm -hmm. so when i finally had my first you know my first good sake and i couldn't even tell you which one it was and i had it cold uh per the you know the surface recommendation it it was awesome Mm -hmm. it was a whole new table of flavors yeah and i didn't know that sake could could taste like that Mm -hmm. so it was a similar discovery as like when i got into beer i didn't know it could taste like that that's kind of awesome you so what, what what are you making now? Tell us about what you're making at Kato Sake Works. Yeah, so in Kato Bushwick. Sake Works. Oh, we are technically not making anything because we don't have a license yet. But my recipe and my you know oh, pilot. Oh, what we are making is a very simple or premium craft sake. So that's a sake that normal you know grown up adult in Japan drinks. So typical sake that you get at the sushi restaurant, two for one hot sake, hmm. that's a college drink, mm-hmm. right? We drank mm-hmm. that a lot, mm-hmm. but eventually you you graduate mm-hmm. and then go to a nicer, you know, sake. The same kind of avenue that you take for your craft beer, right? You drink a lot of beer during the college or before, but eventually. So what's you what's different drinking. than the, the the cheaper college sake to the to the craft sake? What, what are the differences? Well, ingredients and then also process. Oh, we, the, well, sake process is very similar to beer process, but we are more like a process driven than uh, ingredients uh, focus. So it's not like wine that, hey, ingredients is quite important, like 80% is ingredients. Mm-hmm. No, it's more like 80% process, hmm. right? And if you're a big manufacturer like mass producer, there's a millions of ways to cut the process and make things more mm. you know, cheaper so, and then easier. What would right? be the taste difference between drinking like the the good, the good mass one and produced the college? One. Yeah, yeah. You know the typical sake that you get from those places. You know you have a rubbing alcohol smell, huh. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have a horrible hangover next day, and uh, you know it's super burning hot. So I don't know what you're drinking, and people confuse that sake is a distilled alcohol because of that. Do you that think they, that just people add sugar? People add sugar, people yeah. add amino acid or whatever you think you can allow to add, mm-hmm. right? So it's like a, you know, bad, any, any bad drinks, yeah. right? How long does it take to make a good batch of sake? Two months. Two months. Yeah. Uh, so the fermentation process is very similar to beer fermentation. Mm-hmm. So instead of you guys using barley, we use rice. Instead of you guys using malt, we use a mold called koji. But... What they do is exactly the same thing. How do you make the koji? Koji is a small, like, white, fluffy mold, like the one that you see on the French cheese blue cheese. So you can just imagine, like, rice covered with a fluffy... But you do uh, start... Cute. Tell us, you start with the rice. What start, do you do? Yeah, start with the steamed rice. You inoculate the spores and then massage and then keep it in a humid and warm environment for 48 hours. And then you can grow koji or koji rice. And uh, that's a source of uh, enzymes 
to break down the starch in rice into sugar. Hmm. Uh, while koji is also used for uh, soy sauce, miso, so it's a kind of staple of uh, many other Japanese or more like Asian uh, cuisine as well as uh, alcoholic beverages. Wow. Danny, you know, you're a brewer too. I mean, yeah. out of, out of the, everything happens at the bar at Roberta's Pizza before the show. Yeah. You guys started talking and um, Shinobu, Shinobu. Shinobu asked you a question. He said, you're, you're, you're a baker, you're, you're, you're making pizza. And you're yeah. also brewing. So what's the, is there similarities between the fermentation and those? And then we'll talk about how that's similar to sake. Or there are questions. lots of similarities. I mean, you know, it's, it was an easy transition to go from, from brewing beer to make. Well, look, it's not an easy transition, but you're dealing with the same science, right? Where pizza is a grain-based product where they use wheat flour beer there's a lot of wheat used in beer but mostly barley but you know if you're making a wheat beer obviously you're using lots of wheat and they both deal with fermentations you're adding an abundance of viable yeast cells and it needs to be managed things like time and temperature make a huge difference especially with dough fermentation and my brother is really the professional with dough fermentation but when i get into it yeah you're looking for certain properties to and it's a lot of troubleshooting right which is <laughs> anybody that deals with any kind of fermentation knows you're troubleshooting most of the time and it was an easy transition in that sense because oh okay I, I i get it i get what's going on when you when you mix water with flour and you add the yeast you know there's enzymatic breakdown of the dough you're creating a gluten network and all kinds of fascinating things and you know what properties you're looking for in order to take it to the next step you know our pizza dough we put through usually a, a three-day process right to get it to the point where it's this nice big beautiful fluffy crust uh neapolitan style pizza that we present to our customers but um it's it, it there are tons of similarities i look at it like it's the other side of the coin you got beer on one side and pizza on the other and because for my whole career i looked at beer as a food stuff and that's how i would talk about it this is a food product a perishable food product that needs to be cared for not some toothpaste that you stick on a shelf that has an unlimited expiration date that you can purchase at any time it expires like all food stuffs and that's how it should be talked about so it's fun actually now dealing with the food stuff that uh that you know requires a lot of the same uh, uh toolkits that i've been used to in my career and what about sake so sake fermentation is very similar to beer fermentation so when i talk with uh you know, beer brewers, we geek it out like crazy. Yeah. Uh, the same yeast, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, uh, because, because of that, it has a lot of like a Belgian ale type of flavor. So you smell like banana, melon, uh, pineapple, those kind of things. Do you ever use a Belgian yeast? Actually, ne never tried that. Never yet. tried? Yeah. So that'd, that'd be interesting. Mm -hmm, that'd be fun. That'd yeah. be crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but we use uh, ale yeast at the lager temperature. Okay. Yeah. So the fermentation temperature is uh, like 50 air for a low water. That's why it takes so long. Yeah. That's why it takes so long. Mm -hmm. But you can easily make sake much short, within much shorter period of time if you, you know, jack up the temperature. But that does not give you a nice, beautiful aromas and then it's tails. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's one difference between the crafts. Tell us sake. about this sake. So this is like, a, it's a pilot batch, we know that, but yep. what is it? It's, it's, this is great. Yeah. It's complex. Mm -hmm. It's so, wonderful. Yeah, so we just use rice, water, yeast, and koji, and it's a small batch, and then, you know, for uh, two weeks starter fermentation and four weeks main month fermentation. Uh, and then this one has a slight... Uh, rice particles left in it so it's kind of hazy mm -hmm. uh, we coarsely filter it so that it has still some you know oh the the stuff from the fermentation mm. oh yeah and then uh talking about pizza actually we did a pizza and a sake pairing there we go yesterday hmm. we were to uh, write up the tasting notes back of the label yeah and then we wanted to just try that hey how it stands with a typical American food. You know why? Because pizza is the best food stuff on the planet, hands <laughs> down. Uh, uh, you, can't, you can't beat pizza. 
But let me ask you this, because I have a question about sake that, that I'm curious about. Now, for brewers, when we're There's selecting... There's a nice buzz on sake, too. <laughs> this is why? I know. I'm, already, nice buzz. I'm already feeling it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 16%. <laughs> it goes down smooth. I'll try not to slur my words. It's, cra- um, it's craft, um, so it's not sugar-sweetened. Yeah. So, like, with brewing, you you know, the brewer has as a, a dizzying array of, of barley varieties that he can choose from many, many, many different maltsters. And they, they give them all confusing names when they're really, a lot of the times, talking about the same thing. When it comes to sake brewing, how many different varieties of rice are we really talking about? And how do you go about selecting those? Great question, Dan. Yeah. I do have a book only talks about rice varieties. Mm. So there's like, you know, hundreds of rice varieties and then still, you know, people make a hybrid and then, you know, come up with a new new species, something like that. Well, in the US, it's different. So because there's no domestic sake breweries, so there's no, you know, sake rice industries right. much, right? So I source my rice from California, and, and that's the biggest uh, rice producers. No shit. So mm-hmm. this is this is an uh, an American rice. Yes. Sherlock. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because what I want to make is a local ingredient. Yeah. You know, whatever you know, new drink to be, you know, accepted in the foreign cultures that needs to be localized first. So it could be right. any rice. It could be like in, I know in like South Carolina in the South. They're, they're reviving some like heritage mm-hmm. rices. Mm-hmm. Could yeah. you use that for your sake as well? I, I'm trying. My friend gave me like a very interesting, you know, the long grain rice from Carolina. And then he was like, well, why don't you brew some sake from this? So I was like, I'm not so sure, but maybe we can try. <laughs> so you're not so sure about it. What, what could happen with it? I don't know, but we are very much, you know, when we make sake, we polish rice or mill rice to the point that it has more starch than anything else. So ultimately, like a brownish portion of the rice mm-hmm. has a lot of proteins and fat and an ash. Those things that is nutritious and it tastes good when you eat, but not so good when it's fermented. It mm. becomes all flavor. Oh, I see. Right, so that's why most of the sake, like mine is 60% meaning 100% is a brown rice. Or typical eating rice, sushi rice is 90%, 10% discarded. This is 60%. So 40% outer layer is already milled out. Mm-hmm. And mm. that's more like pure starch. So you, it's mill, you're milling each grain? Yeah. Yeah. Well, or like typical or American native rice does not have the same starch concentration. That has more like, you know, interesting flavors and then things. So that's why I was saying that I'm not so sure. Mm. You know, it might, you know, it may probably make a very interesting uh, sake flavor. So if I, if I wanted to, to learn how to homebrew sake, mm-hmm. for that to really take off, we need more rice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the rice could come from California? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So actually there's one company in Oregon that they sell the uh, sake grade rice to the consumers. Yeah, so if you're a home brewer, you can actually buy rice. So let's talk more about, like, food at breweries. Matt, mm-hmm. so tell us more about some of the... It's a challenge to book something seven days a week yeah. for food. Um, what what works best? Yeah, well, the, you know, there's, uh, there's like, some classic, like, beer foods that I kind of look for. I have yet to find a chicken wing truck that I can trust. I'm looking for chicken wings. I'm taking notes. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Saki and chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you know what, what ended up happening was once we started booking regularly, um, a lot of the trucks would tell each other. And sometimes I'll get a text in the morning on a Saturday, our busiest day, and it'll say, hey, we can't make it today, but I got another truck to fill in for me. And here's who it is. And I'm like, all right, great. That works. Um, we like to mix it up um, at Fifth Hammer. We have, like a, we have a big range of styles of beer on, so we like to have different kinds of things in the door. So... We work with a um, with Warung Roadside. They're like a Bangkok street food truck. Um, our probably our most popular um, uh, like day of truck is the fixed uh, Sunday truck uh, of Mom's Momo Tibetan dumplings. It's for crazily so good with beer. Obviously, dumplings are like affordable. The price is mm-hmm. great. Um, and but, you think it brings more people? Yeah, and you know I don't know necessarily if it's bringing more people, but people want to stay. You know, a lot of brewery, uh, brewery tap rooms don't have a food option, and a lot of bars don't have a food option. And when there's something there, that does end up meaning people hang around for a bit longer, too. No, I, I, I believe in that. To me, when I drink, I like to eat. Um, 
let's talk about the culture of drinking and and eating together. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, just tagging off the, the food truck scene in New York, when you look at cities like Portland, Oregon, they are 100 years ahead of New York City when it comes to food trucks. The food truck scene in New York City has a lot to be desired. Mm. And, you know, I think brewery tap rooms are one avenue that not only food trucks, but restaurants that happen to have a food truck can showcase their, their talents or their foods to an audience that could likely come to their establishment. And, you know, it's awesome. And it's a safety concern, too. When you have lots of people drinking, you got to have a food option, man. And food trucks at breweries just make so much sense. And mm -hmm. it's an avenue that I think is just now really being tapped into. And I'm curious to see where it's going to be, I don't know, 10 years from now, five years from now. What are some some types of food trucks that are in Portland that in Portland? We don't see here? Well, you know, Portland. Uh, uh, my brother's he. So my brother operated this oven that we're working with now in Portland, Oregon, for for three or four years before we brought it out here. And I wish he was here to speak to that. The Portland food truck scene. When I go there, and I wish I could name them by heart, but. They have they have parking lots that are just dedicated food truck pods, and they have tons of these. And you know, I'm not saying they're all great. The food truck industry is kind of like like uh, 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 some sort of weird pirate culture, <laughs> and you run into a lot of really weird people. Um, well, you I, know, and that that's true here as as anywhere. Oh, absolutely. But you know, I, and I, I kind of wonder, like, who has more food trucks, like us or Portland? You know, for in Portland, they're all concentrated Portland. in these like in these uh, spots. <laughs> there you go. Well, they're all concentrated in these spots, but in in New York, they're all over the place, and you know, some of them are in deep Queens and in deep Brooklyn, and I I actually don't. We don't have like a centralized culture around it. No, but, um, no, we don't. And the quality of food trucks, there's a big difference there, yeah, there too. Is. Absolutely. One, one thing you got here, there, there's certain food trucks that stake out certain spots. Like there's on Avenue A and 2nd Street, there's a bar right across from it. There's a taco truck, same taco truck all the time. Mm -hmm. You go out to Sunset Park, 5th Avenue, there's a, the El Bronco. Which is almost, it's like basically a restaurant on wheels. Mm -hmm. They have a, they have ropes. They have waiting area. Huh. I mean, yeah. and they and they also have a store as well. So, yeah. um, it's pretty interesting. I mean, what about with, with sake? Are you going to have food trucks or any type of food? No, we will first focus on the tap room, so just sake and some snacks. Oh uh, well, you know, it'd be nice if you can have a food trucks there, and mm -hmm. then you know, we, I was thinking that maybe it's better to mix with more like a diverse type of food that you never try with sake, mm -hmm. right? Because people, you know, you, you drink sake when you eat sushi. That's mm -hmm. it. Right. And that's a problem that we have. How we yeah. can break that down, break down. What else can you pair sake with? What else do I drink sake with? So pizza, pizza works very good. Well, you know, it depends on the type of sake. Uh -huh. And we try to gear our taste profile towards more friendly to the American food because typical sake, like a very fine sake, is a very delicate and a very nice, but you know, your food is loud, mm -hmm. noisy, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and bar then, barbecue, you know, not fried many chicken. sake can stand up, stand up against but, that. Yeah. You could have, I would suggest, a nice like country ham, like a serrano mm -hmm. ham, mm -hmm. something that's subtle, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Um, chicken wings, but not like American barbecue style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A yeah. lot of other regular, good food, you know, skew skewers, mm -hmm. um, certain kind of spicing. I think one thing about America, some reason American... Americans think of these really loud foods, what you're saying, with beer. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really think of American barbecue with all that sauce. To me, that's not even barbecue. Mm -hmm. To me, barbecue is like a certain way of smoking it. It can be very subtle. Barbecue is also heavy. And like beer and barbecue together sometimes for me isn't like... I want to drink more beer and I want to eat more barbecue. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> I don't know. So. I don't know. I, I can't imagine having barbecue with anything other than a beer. And I think anybody that says anything <laughs> otherwise is fucking crazy. Um, you know, beer. I'll probably do a pairing and then challenge you. Okay. I, 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 I have a truck for you. I have a truck for you. We're going to do make it light. We're going to have a barbecue meat, but a larb style. So to be like oh. a little salad, you know, you'll, have, you, you'll wrap the barbecue with some other vegetables and a little lettuce wrap. And we're going to have sake with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
yeah, that that uh, throw a few greens in there to mask. And the, then, uh, how the, spicy the, do you want it? That's your question. <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go. I, you know, you'd be hard pressed. I mean, I love sake, and um, I look, I I think that it deserves to take a shot at uh, unseating the throne uh, from beer as being the world's best uh, food pairing beverage in the world. In the Let's world. Uh, quick this. Fifth Hammer, what's this beer? Yeah, we're drinking uh, Sonic Architecture. That's our um, <clears throat> our IPA series. Um, this is the fourth installment. It's got uh, Amarillo, Azaka, Mandarina, Bavaria, and uh, uh, Mosaic hops. So every month we have like a new hop blend coming out. That and this is really one's tasting cool. really good right now. Well, big and big shout out as always to uh, Chris and Mary. Yep. At uh, and Dave at Fifth Hammer. Yeah. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Good. St- My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Thank you, Brandon Hoy, Roberta's Pizza. All right, guys, um, the the guy is here, Luke Brookert. From that's the last name, right, Brookert? That's right, Brookert. Luke, Luke Brookert is about to walk in. He is the pizza. Half of the Groundlings Pizza. Dick face so, number two. <laughs> both uh, Danny and Luke Brookert uh, worked at Circuit Brewing. And um, so, quick, Luke, sit down. I'm going to ask you a question. So, you've got this pizza truck. It's you've got a it's a portable pizza oven, yeah. and you've been using it for years. So, the the big question I have is like anything like a good oven, you have to heat it up. So, what are the challenges of this? You're, you're moving this vehicle. You're setting up. How long does it take you to really get it up to temp? And is it getting to the temp that you'd want? Is this your ideal oven? Like, is this really making the pizza that you want? Because it's a good pizza. Okay. Uh, This is a really good question. We saved it for you. And, okay, what does it take to get going? Okay, time-wise, it takes an hour, right? So just general time-wise, it takes an hour. And that's pretty standard for pizza ovens. What are our challenges? We have a... We have a hanky janky oven, all right. And 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 what I will say about that is, I I equate it to when you find best any, oven in the any world. any kind of cool craftsman when they figure out how to use like a tool, they can have the most uh, mundane version of a tool, but they can know how to use it exceptionally well. And I, it's and like I, a knife and, and a like, cutting board. Like, like a right. knife and a cutting board is a good example. Or a woodworker with a me- what what someone might look at as a mediocre chisel in the hands of the right craftsman could be an exceptionally wielded tool to produce cool results. So I equate that to our oven. Now, does it make the pizza exactly what we want? I will say this. We produce exceptional pizza out of this oven, and I think... We have tailored our style of pizza making to just however our oven works. Like, we've just felt it out. We figured out how to use it. And from it, we can make an exceptional pizza. So I think it's a combination of we have an interesting, weird oven. And we just know and have felt out how to use it over the course of time and testing out so many things and etc. So... That's uh, that's what I would say about it. That's brilliant, it. man. Yeah. That's like every true yeah. craftsman. You're right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and you know, uh, a big challenge that we have is uh, one unforeseen challenge that pizza makers never talk about is uh, your wood source. Who is your wood source? What time of year are you sourcing wood? What type of wood are you sourcing, etc.? And we have gone through a wonderful gamut of choosing different wood purveyors. And I will tell you right now, any wood purveyor in any state is kind of a random affair, you know. And I and I will say, uh, we, we we have chosen so many different types of hard and semi-hard woods, of which we love to use. And I will say that to any pizza makers: cherry, maple, a little bit of oak. But depending on the amount of dryness of the wood, it impacts 
our ability to use our pizza oven and and to make our pizzas. So like right now we're in a process of we purchase a big pile of wood and oh my god this stuff is not as dry as we need it to be etc so what do we do we put a bunch of it in our little pizza trailer we heat up that oven we get it really hot in there we chop it all up and we literally kiln dry our wood <laughs> in our pizza truck <laughs> while, to get, in it. While, while we're in it overnight to get it to be exactly what we need so it's like wow. knowing what you want and what you need and what you have available and making it work so what is it in firewood for you, but it's yeah. a little wet. Ah, <laughs> it'll dry out. Don't worry about it. So, Luke, as the wood whisperer, I mean, what, so w- when, at what point do you know how ready this wood is? Do you smell no, it? Is okay. it sensual? Yeah, is really good. Okay, okay. What, what I notice as a pizza maker is and anyone who just builds a fire, uh, but in the pizza oven, you're looking for a silky, sexy flame, right, that doesn't spark fizzle, crackle, shoot things all over the oven. You're looking for a simple, sexy flame that comes over the top of your oven and that breaks down into a coal that that doesn't last longer than maybe 20 or 30 minutes, you know, and different wood varieties break down into denser, longer-lasting coals that become problems in your pizza oven. I will say, for example, oak. Oak is 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 great and it's also a hindrance because it's so hard it burns so hot but then the flame lasts for a little while and then the flame's gone and then you have this pile of burning hot embers that don't move don't go anywhere and if you're not varying your quality of hardwoods to complement it you're stuck with a pile of embers that you're like oh my god what am i gonna do with this giant mountain of embers etc not not to mention if i could just add humidity plays a huge role in managing your fire we i I remember one event specifically hops on the hudson (laughs) in upstate new york i was drenched in sweat it was 98 degrees we were cooking pizza and i swear to god it was so humid that none of the wood wanted to burn it was a struggle just to light a fire and this thing just it just wanted to smolder and smoke yeah and it was just a grueling day can i also say this guy came in here last minute to this to this 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 episode. He looked at me through the glass, flipped me off, came in, and then he delivered an awesome answer and contributed yeah. to this conversation. That's the last compliment I'll ever pay him ever. Wow. Wow. Just walked in and knocked it out of the park. Shinobo's got like five questions for you, Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Shinobo, this sake is amazing. This is so good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So we'll have a tap room, hopefully, sometime soon. And uh, yeah, it takes like, you know, two two months to brew the first batch. And we are still waiting for the tanks from uh, Portland, Oregon, too. Oh, yeah? How big a tanks are you getting? It's a small tank, so like, you know, 300 liters. I'm sorry, I'm using Matrix, but, you know, 300 liters. Uh, And we'll have four fermentation tanks. So every week we have a fresh batch. Right. Matt, let's taste. Let's keep tasting beers from Fifth Hammer and Heck Six yeah. Point. Um, Luke, since you're here, now we're gonna ask you questions. Yeah. Um, what do you think about sake? Uh, so I'm actually a, a huge sake fan. Um, uh, my my favorite style right now is the the Jun Mai style of sake. Is this what this is? Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so good. Um, I I have to say I love I love the complexity of it. It has really cool earth floral and mineral tones that you get in a sake that you don't always get in a wine per se or or a beer per se and it's it's a really interesting drinking experience and i love it because i also love sushi and and uh so yeah sake i'm a huge fan and also i have one of my favorite uh for someone who's starting a new business, like you're always looking at branding and like, oh, what's what's cool branding that you want to reference? And there's a sake maker, I can't I can't remember the name, but I'll I'll reference like the logo, which is of this like blobular, like uh, abominable snowman, um, and it's it's the coolest branding uh, 
for me because I just love mythological creatures. <laughs> Cheers and, on that one. Okay. And, 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 Listen, uh, everybody look up in their <laughs> Japanese dictionary. <laughs> How do you say abominable snowman? Jimmy Jimmy noticed that drift. <laughs> All right, next. Thank you, Snowdrift. That got weird quick. <laughs> okay. Now, this is a six-point thing. It's some wine-based beverage. Yeah, so this, you know, this is a beer that I picked up from the brewery directly today. I show up at the door, and J.D. Linderman, one of their brewers, answered the door, and I said, hey, man, I need some beer. He said, what for? And then I um, I started crying because nobody had ever asked me that before. <laughs> and then uh, and he said, you know, I told him it was for beer sessions, and he said, all right, take whatever you want. And this is a, uh, it's called, uh, oh, boy, it's called Spritzer, and it's a uh, farmhouse-style saison brewed with 35% Zinfandel grapes. And... We're trying it right now. So you call do you call that mixed fermentation, Danny? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, you're adding a. I've heard of, that term used, but so, it so seems the, kind of generic. The thing is, is you're adding a simple sugar, which is what grapes contribute to a mash. It's a simple sugar, right? Um, and what that can do is it can impair the quality of the yeast because they get used to utilizing a simple sugar. So it may alter future generations, but for a single batch, you know, it, it'll gobble it up. This is junk food for a beer yeast. They'll mm. eat up that, that simple sugar, and then they'll go on to their more You like that, Shinobu, sugar. don't you? Yeah. <laughs> He's laughing. Shobu knows what I'm talking about. He's the about. silent laugher. We, Shinobu Okato here. You want to go to Kato Sake Works? <laughs> He'll be laughing all day. And <laughs> you won't even hear him. Yeah, but, but you know, beer—it's. It's but Dan, let's just so before so we we got to this when you brought this in, spritzers wine. We talked talked about how there's floral wines upstate, which is like a, a wine and a spritzer, and the, I don't really want to talk about hard seltzer. But what about making a, a malt beverage seltzer? You know, there's the markets out there. We know it, but how would you make a malt based? Seltzer. Well, I mean, aren't we talking about just a, an adjunct lager, aren't we? I mean, you, these are usually uh, near beers. They're but usually but made. How, do you, how do you strip it down, keeping the alcohol high? How do you strip it down to, to water? Oh, there, there, there are, uh, boy, ways that I couldn't reference off the top of my head, but there are, are, are ways that you can uh, strip flavor, believe me. Um, but I haven't, I haven't spent my career figuring out how to make less flavor, and that's why I have a hard problem with hard, hard seltzers. <laughs> uh, the, you know, I spent the first part of my career trying to figure out how to make these awesome, flavorful beers. So hard seltzer to me, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> I, it's just, no, it, it, it is kind of weird, but I also feel like it'd be so easy. Like I really feel like I could just have. It's not water, easy. Yeah. But, I, but that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, couldn't I just have water and carbonation and some alcohol in there and some flavor? Yeah, I mean, it could. sounds like you, you could, could make, make that in water. a soda shop or something. Yeah, you, you, could, you could add vodka to water if you wanted to. I mean, you know, there, there are uh, – uh, I can't recall them off the top of my head. There are procedures, and it, it, it's not a small operation. You need, you need sophisticated equipment to strip away this flavor. Uh, from from any grain based fermentation, um, and, and you it's think not, it's probably grain based. So even if it's a vodka, it's yeah, a most of the spirit. time it's definitely. I mean, they're. Fr- I think that's the cheapest way to still make alcohols through grain based fermentation, starch starch based fermentation. Um, but you know, I, it's again, I I don't even look into it because it's not something. <laughs> I'm I'm not a guy that uh, uh, follows the money. I make careers out of well, my passions. We're, we're, in a, we're <laughs> so. in a funny spot where like <clears throat> the biggest beer companies are, you know, shrinking or the growth has slowed in a big way. And so, like, I saw we're allowed to say a big national brand's name. Don't say the name. Yeah. Well, so I saw a, a big national brand of like super cheap lager you, you do keg stands with in college, mm-hmm. and they have a hard seltzer. And I was like, that makes sense. They're looking for some other avenue because they're they're probably struggling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I don't think the beer industry is going anywhere. I think it's going to get smaller. And I, I can't wait for the day. When I say smaller, I mean smaller breweries. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for the day that, that it's weird when a place doesn't brew their own beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, go, let's go to the future because we've got that in this room. First, the Long Island City. How many breweries are on your Long Island City brewery tour? We have six right now, and I know there's some others scouting, too. And tell us again the names, because we did a great show with you last month. Yeah, we have uh, Fifth Hammer, Rockaway Brewing, that was the first in the hood, LIC Beer Project, Big Alice, 
Iconic just opened their new tap room and brewery down there, and Alewife Brew Pub. And Alewife. And now we've got in Bushwick, we've got Sake Brew, Alicato Sake Works. And where is it again? <laughs> Five Central Avenue. Right around the corner from Roberta's. So we've got that. There's, there's, and then coming one day soon, Groundlings. Tell us the plan for Groundlings, because yeah. you guys are out there with this. It's not even a truck. It's a trailer that looks like a truck. Yeah. So it's a, it's a truck without a motor. <laughs> or does the motor not work? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's if, a trailer. If, it's yeah, a trailer. I want to go back with you guys. I, I know what you're going to have one day. You're, you've got a great brewer. I mean, when you guys were at Circle, you had a great team. And again, Danny, I can't wait to one day have you back in the brew house, and I want you to make a really my favorite pilsner again. Oh, Tell us that recipe. What was that pilsner? That pilsner, it was um, God's gift. It was it was a blend of of my favorite pilsner malts, and it was uh, you know my my whole thing with pilsners, and there's a lot of people out there that'll disagree with me. I I don't really believe in long aging uh, for for pilsners, hmm. and believe me, there's a lot of people that hmm. disagree with me on this. But I like filtration when it comes to a pilsner. I want my pilsner fresh. I want it as fresh as it can be. So that means if you're going through a three or four week fermentation and uh, maybe a minor clarification, run it through the filter and serve it because that's to me is when it tastes best. And uh, you know, everybody's got their own way. It's as manipulative as pizza making, right? And everybody's gonna have their own way that they go about it. And we're all a bunch of opinionated asshole brewers <laughs> that, 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 that <laughs> like to have these discussions, but you know, Pilsner to me, it's it's a simple beer, and if you can do it right, it's like a margarita pizza. And Danny, mm-hmm. let, and let's yeah, go yeah, back yeah, to yeah. that. So, you, mm-hmm. tell us about your dad. In the old days, he had a hobby <laughs> making pizza. <laughs> so, okay, so our parents are retired teachers, and they were restless. That's your articulate. And losing their minds, <laughs> and in in that's time period they uh my father always wanted to open a small business and decided to open a a wood fire pizza catering business and and that's that's where we got involved in it and uh so they started their business about so like where would they go what was the number okay. one okay. the number one business oh opportunity god. oh my god like this is a great pizza question catering. okay the number one thing we did every year was the oregon country music festival and we really, we really cut our teeth on, you know, not only volume, quality of product, but also just how to handle insanity with what you're serving <laughs> to a level that in, in no, no restaurant has ever prepared me for. And I don't know if any brewery has ever prepared Danny for. Like no. uh, the Oregon Country Music Festival serving, serving wood fire pizza. Wow, and I'll just uh, say for for like how many pizzas would you sell? We'd sell upwards of six hundred pies in an evening, and this would be like from roughly from like f- like a five to ten o'clock. And this wow. is that's doing the math. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, no, no. Like uh, it was it was a lot of pizzas out of one pizza oven uh, with the family, like mom, how dad, you guys mom, were dad, like brothers. eight years old. No, 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 no. This we was this we was, were in our twenties. Yeah, we were in our twenties when yeah, it started. We were yeah, yeah. Twenties and old enough to and, bitch about oh my, it constantly. Oh my god! You went home. Yeah. You had ash. The children and, had ash on their faces and were put to bed. You the, could only eat the crust the, of the pizza. Going so. to visit the parents was never the same. Oh my god! The hell the, have you the, got me doing? The the, the wildest was uh, we would always be set up serving. Uh, normal pizza vendor would serve one. In, in one like area of, of the venue and we had we were serving two so we were serving double in a sense and we would be serving normal people and then people in the beer garden <laughs> and I'm telling you like nine ten o'clock rolls around at a country music fest in a beer garden and every single year every single year People were threatening us with violence, like, I'm going to kick your ass if I don't get my goddamn pizza, blah, 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 blah. And and so uh, I remember when someone asked me a question once, uh, if I was, if, if I or we were prepared to, like, do this thing in New York, you know, if we could handle a New York audience. And it was like... You know, I think we're I think I think we're gonna be okay. <laughs> you guys are rock stars, and it was so great seeing you. Last week you were at uh, Josh Bernstein's book launch. 
you guys are out there representing yourselves well. And I'll tell you, if I had a building or I had some other asset like that, I, I'd I'd put in their Groundling Groundlings Pizza yeah, brew baby. pub. I want to get them in Long Island City. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna you know it's gonna come. We're, we've been talking a lot about doing a slice <laughs> shop very very soon in the immediate future, and you know we have look we want to own a brew pub and we're gonna own a brew pub. I just I, I, it's Brewery, too early. Pizzeria. It's too early. Very good. You know, no, 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 no. (laughs) Brew pub is not a dirty word. You know, when you talk to people and you say the word brew pub, there are low expectations that are associated with that term. That's the biggest growth of uh, of beer producers in the country. It has to change. It has to change. And I don't think it needs a name change. Brew pubs are awesome. Fresh beer, good food. You can't beat it. You know, and it's it, that that's one aspect of this industry that has to change. Brew pub's not a dirty word anymore. <laughs> I just it needs a it needs a different phrase. That's all. Mm, I just something wanna... like brutopia. <laughs> <laughs> no, it brew pub is awesome. I just want to get my brother out of the kitchen and back in the brewery. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and we want yeah. your beer. Okay, <laughs> last thing. Fifth Hammer, what's going on? Oh, man, we're having our second anniversary. It's coming up. Um, wow. Yeah, Friday, October 4th. We're celebrating two years. Um, and also, Fifth Hammer, is that Blind Tiger coming up? Yeah, yeah. That's I, a big night. Yeah, on uh, Wednesday, uh, the day this comes out, right? Is, yeah. Uh, yeah, Wednesday night is the uh, week. second anniversary party. It's always a big deal when, when a brewery f- is featured at Blind Tiger. It's still the go-to place yeah. in Manhattan for craft beer. Yeah, we are incredibly excited about the Blind Congratulations Tiger Congratulations to event. all you guys, especially to Chris, Mary, and Dave over at Fifth Hammer. And Mr. Kato. Yes. One more time. Kato Sake Works, 5 Central Avenue. We are opening soon, probably by the end of the year. Yeah. Last thing, quickly. Mm-hmm. The drinking culture that inspires you about America. That's on your website. Yes, (laughs) yes. You know, you drink a lot, and, you know, I like the beer culture. It's Mm -hmm. very casual, and, then you know, that's what we drink sake in Japan. But people don't drink sake in the way I used to drink back in Japan. So that's what I want to bring. So you're going to develop Mm -hmm. the culture. Mm -hmm. That's great. just casual. Do you look at sake as a beer or a wine? Beer. A beer. It's a brood my product. My man, my man. It's there we brood. go. There we this, go. This is one that you guys made my show. I'll tell you, the, the way this show works is the 500th episode. Thank you, everyone. But a week ago, we actually didn't have a show booked. I went to Josh Bernstein's book launch at, at the soon-to-open Wild East Brewery. Shinoba came up to me and reintroduced himself because he had been on two years ago. I saw Danny and Luke outside. And then, of course, once I posted it, Matt's like, I want to be on and talk about food at breweries. So, you guys, thanks to everybody. Thanks to our thousands of guests that have been on 500 episodes. Um, Thanks to all of our engineers, producers, and everyone. And right now, it's Matt Patterson is our engineer. we got a new intern, Kevin B. And and, uh, I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody, on Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.